Hey everybody. Derek, welcome back. How's it going? You were not here last week. Last week we were on my porch and I had Jason and we talked about FTR. We talked we actually watched the first motos of Loretta Lynn's. You were like somewhere celebrating getting married and all that shit and and fireworks and all that cool stuff. <laughs> and so I had to bring someone extra in, so I had Jason come join me and we talked about what FTR was, what FTR is. Uh, and that was episode 21. And by the way, he was drinking water and I was drinking Diet Coke. So that was episode 21. We should have been celebrating wholeheartedly. What do you got today? Tea. Tea. Yeah. I have Diet Coke. So episode 22, we have Ashley Harris and her husband. Phil Harris. Phil Harris with cool glasses. And we're going to talk about motocross training today. Um, we just finished... A debacle of Loretta Lynn's. The first time in years that there have been motos super shortened, parents riding. Um, we had everything going on, but Ashley and Phil are going to be able to fill us in and also talk to us about what it's like to be a motocross rider, train. And uh, you met Ashley at the camp. Yeah, so... Ashley and Phil, um, they were trainers at the, the Pax Tracks camp. That's where we met. Um, great people. Uh, Ashley owns what? What is Shred MX Conditioning? Um, yeah. It looks like she has an awesome program going on. So we definitely wanted to bring her in and talk about something that doesn't get talked about a lot. So here we are. Um, and by the way, this is episode 22 of the Moto Beyond the Curve, the MX podcast. Yeah, you're so, good. You're good. So we just want to go. We want to start with that, but. Um, Derek, please lead this conversation because you're the one that had the first conversation with Ashley, and I've, I've been looking forward to this for a while, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're able to join us. Thank you, Ashley and Phil, for joining us this evening. Sure thing. All right, so like I said, I, I met these guys at uh, the PAX uh, MX camp there over the summer. Um, I really like what she was doing. She did the training with the kids in the morning. Uh, Phil was also a coach on the kids, you know, the riding. So, um, Ashley, give us a little lowdown on Shred. Oh, so, um, I mean, yeah, I started personal training last year a little bit and obviously want to focus on moto athletes because I've raced my whole life um, since I was five. I've raced, and that's how he and I met. I was working at a dealership when he came in to buy a bike, and he <laughs> also bought an Ashley. So, <laughs> What did you buy, Phil? What's that? What did you buy? Uh, so I was actually trading in an RM two fifty two stroke and bought a Suzuki four stroke. It was a two thousand twelve. Okay, so you like kickstarts? Oh, I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the button now. <laughs> uh, me too. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, since moved on. Yeah, yeah, we're on green now. But it's obviously been, you know, motocross has obviously been a huge passion of both of ours for our entire lives. Um, so we just stuck with it personally. And I kind of struggled myself throughout the years being a girl riding. Um, I've always been small. I'm five foot four, like 130 pounds, and I ride it to the DF. So from the time I was probably 17 on 250s, just being on the small end, I mean, the, the stock suspension on those is set up for a 170-pound rider typically. So... I always fought with the bikes a little bit. Um, we had suspension done and things like that, but it's still a lot of bike to handle. And again, being female, you know, getting older, just kind of struggled with weight and everything until I myself wanted to find something 
better for myself. I, I wanted to ride better. I wanted to feel better when I was riding. Um, I've had my own injuries. I've had shoulder surgery, a broken femur, a broken arm. I've, I've had a lot <laughs> of injuries myself. And I was like, man, you know, I need to get strong. So I actually just started doing like beach body workouts and I noticed a difference. And then I'm like, there should be something for much more, you know, focused on moto athletes. So last year I became a personal trainer and decided that I was just going to focus on moto people. And um, fast forward, you know, like six months, January of this year, I started ShredMX conditioning and really, really did that focus. So just building workout programs um, for riders, racers, uh, whether it's moto, enduro, hair scrambles, doesn't matter. You know, anyone that's on a dirt bike is like who I want to work with because we all have this mindset. Like we're just a different breed of people. Um, so that's since grown into not only fitness coaching, but nutrition coaching as well. So I do the nutrition side of it. And then here more recently, I'm kind of expanding off of that to do on a bike train with Phil. Um, he's ridden pro class for uh, probably almost 20 years now. <laughs> I got bumped pretty early at 15. So. so we offer fitness, nutrition, and all of that's fully remote. It's all online. Obviously, the on the bike training is in person. But we also do, for anyone that's in our elite coaching program, where they can send in videos and we review them, mainly Phil reviews them and gives feedback on, you know, what they could work on with their actual riding too, if they don't live close enough to do the on bike training. That's awesome. Like I said, it's it's an awesome program that you got going on just from what I've seen. Um, then I got to witness you guys training, you know, firsthand. So that's why you're here. We we love to, to showcase the people that we know are in this sport wholeheartedly. And um, I definitely think that's you guys. So. I figured Trey would have all kinds of questions at this point because I know Trey well. I have, I have a, excuse my French, I have a shit pile of questions. Um, I just, I actually, uh, this morning was with my chiropractor. I'm, I'm recovering. I had, uh, three months ago, I had a hellacious injury on an enduro. I crashed. Um, I did not dissipate any injury, uh, energy. I actually just crashed and stopped. I broke my helmet. Um, I compressed my cervical spine and today when I met with my chiropractor he was like hey we really need to start working on your muscle endurance and increasing the muscle tone um, to get you back on the bike I'm still not on the bike and I was wondering when you guys are working with your athletes how in-depth are you getting with the athletes to he, he doesn't know exactly, he rides mountain bikes, so he's familiar with the stance, you know, the athletic stance on a bike, but he doesn't know bikes, but he's like, hey, you might need to get with a trainer to do that. Well, that's great. I could, I could go with you guys for, for that, but also, how do you see me on a bike when you're doing everything mobily? So I actually have, um, I, I did a corrective exercise course as well. So the way it's set up is through all of my fitness coaching is through an app, but I also do my assessments that way. So we do assessments before you get started, um, just like a squat test and it's actually a static posture test. And so through my training, I, I can look and see your movement patterns or just uh, your posture and things like that and see where there might be um, like a range of motion or a range of like a, a deficiency there, like you don't have full range of motion, or if your body's moving outside of the preferred path. 
So that's just done like pictures and videos. Like you can either have someone help you take the pictures and send them back to me in videos or set your phone up on a table and take it yourself. Um, but it's all done remote so that I can work with anyone anywhere and then custom the experience to you. Um, I have, you know, programs, some people just like, oh, I just want to work out. Cool. Here's my moto-based workouts. Like I built it around what I know you need as riders because I've been one my entire life. Um, but for someone looking for more custom programming, it's all just, just done through the app. Okay. I was, I was just curious on that because, <coughs> excuse me, that was something that hit me today and it was like, well, we have, we have performance coaches in our area, but there's not really any performance coaches that understand motorcycles. And I'm sorry, the ones that are available in Claremont aren't going to help a 51-year-old man go in the B class of the Enduro series. So I was just kind of curious, like, okay, well, if I find someone that knows moto, how do I utilize that outside? But that answers that question. So... You know, I have a wife that can shoot video, and we can do those, and I know posture and all that good stuff, so that makes sense. But, um, by the way, if you hear any rumbling, we are now in Florida, and it is the late evening, so we are getting thunderstorms at the uh, pool complex. <laughs> You're going to make it. So, yeah, um, to, to reiterate his point, um, I, there's not many people that do what you do. I there, you see a lot of the the online programs now, and I guess the the online MX coaching. But I don't know that I've really I personally have really seen. So now you got like Phil involved who can sit and see body position on a bike, and so are you guys working together to come up with like a program? So if somebody wants to reach out to you. Are you guys working together like he's doing the bike part and you're doing the training part or like the the conditioning part or how are you guys going about that so it's totally customized to what someone wants i do the fitness and nutrition coaching and he mainly does on the bike now i say mainly because there's a few women riders who prefer to work with a, women, a, a female riding coach as well and i'll train them on the bike mm -hmm. but my skill level uh, and not to mention most guys that ride don't want to listen girl rider coach <laughs> so we leave that side of it to Phil like I said unless it's another female rider who just wants to work with a girl okay yeah and I think like what you guys are kind of asking on my side of it it's a lot more on the bike in person where she's like her stuff's a lot more remote yeah. online and everything but I mean like she's saying like her elite athletes and stuff also have access if they need help on the bike if you do, yeah, send videos or something like that, then yeah, I can look at form. Or if you have riding videos, then I can look at that, you know, like, you know, form or or whatever it may be that someone may be struggling with. Then we can review it remotely that way as well. If I can't be there to help on the bike in person. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I, because that's something, I mean, I'm, I think for most of us amateur guys, I can't afford to have someone Michelle can go out and video me while I'm riding on the property but I can't afford to have someone come to the house and do so but if I can shoot a video over to somebody and say hey what'd you see while I was riding today they can look at that diet exercise that's pretty simple um, Ashley how much do you get into the 
overall movement of the body and what that body looks like on a bike? With the fitness programs? Yes, ma'am. So mainly, um, like I said, before we get started with any fitness program, we go through like movement assessments to make sure uh, we look for any deficiencies or, or range of motion issues. Um, but more so with the training side of it, the programs are customized, so it depends on the level. And that I say that because even the best program, the perfect program that's built for a rider isn't going to work if it's not something that the person can consistently do. So I meet people where they're at. You know, if we're talking like we have two days a week to train, I'll put together a program that meets your needs that we're going to hit as many muscles as we can that's going to be benefit your riding as much as possible. But I can't look at every person and say, this is the best program. It's five days a week. Here you go. We all ride on different days based on weather and track availability. Um, you know, we all have different equipment availability. Some people have, can go to a gym, some people work out at home, some people do body weight. I have to meet people where they are, which is which is a very fun challenge of what I'm doing. Um, but again, it, it has to be something that works. So my focus is always around, okay, this is what we have to do. Um, we use a lot of our posterior chain when we're riding. Uh, so we're making sure we have a good strong back, a good strong core, strong legs. Um, several of the men riders that I've been working with, Phil included, because um, he doesn't have a choice, he has to be <laughs> are very um, lackadaisical when it comes to training their lower half. Guys don't like to train their butt and legs. So I've got him training his butt and legs because it's very important for riding. That's our base of support. Um, so it, it's just funny to see how much stronger he's felt since sticking with the program, you know, and I had to meet him where he's at, you know, like, oh, I don't like legs. Okay, well, these are what we're going to do. And he's actually got no ACLs. So oh, wow. okay. <laughs> tour, tour one had a fixed retore, and then more recent, that was when he was younger, more recently since we've been together, probably within the past, what, three years? Yeah, I think it was the beginning of 21. He tore it and decided not to have it fixed and has since fully recovered and gained strength in his legs because of the program I've had him following. So again, I had to meet him there and make sure he was doing things appropriate for him. Not a doctor, I don't have any type of medical degrees and that's totally up to him. I was like, if we need to fix it, we need to fix it, but do you want to try? And we got all clear from his doctor, they're like, yeah, do what you can on it. And his doctor even said, well, you're not going to really... Like, you can walk on it, but you'll not ride. And, I mean, he rides every weekend, twice a week sometimes. Like, we've got it strengthened enough for him to be fine. So. I think David, David Villeman rode for years without an ACL. Uh, Jason Thomas rode for some while. So it's all about if you can handle that pain at the beginning and then riding through. But it was interesting to hear you say meeting riders where they were because or where they are because I think for – a lot of us, like, I know that at 51 years old, I, I can't touch my toes. And I'm currently going through rehab right now for the injury. And I'm meeting with my doctor and going through rehab. And he's like, hey, I want you to work on this. And, and then we're talking about these things. And with someone in your writing side that can say, hey, this is what I see. You were talking about that posterior chain, which in, in the motocross side, if you look at Jet Lawrence currently, we all are amazed at what he does on a bike. He's not the most 
chest fit man in the world but on a bike he is so solid and smooth and centered and that video that came out a couple weeks ago with him getting kicked and the bike got kicked completely to the right and he just rode it out in the center that posterior chain exercise that you're talking about do you see that modern motocross changing with that kind of fitness because for years we had Ricky Carmichael that was you got to die to ride and now you see Jet going to the smooth is efficient. Uh, what, what's your thought process on that? Um, I mean, as cliche as it is, it just depends on the person. So if I can see them ride, it definitely is helpful. But at the same time, what matters more to me when I'm doing the assessment is going to be if they have any movement deficiencies of a certain um, so like in a squat, you know, like you look for your knees going in or your knees going outwards or your, your feet turning different ways because that leads to um, compensations elsewhere and regular movements. So it's going to lead to compensations when you're riding. Um, and those things over time cause overuse injuries or just, you know, range like your, your inefficient movement pattern injuries. A lot of times that's where, uh, you know, stretch, stress fractures or partial tears can come into play. So the more we can correct that from an off-the-bike standpoint, the better longevity you're going to have on the bike. So then, you know, even just talking about the, the smoothness on the bike, a lot of that comes from um, just having a good solid base and understanding of your, your body movement awareness, spatial awareness of your body and how to move it and then how that relates to the bike. So if we're not in person, it's hard It's hard to relate, um, you know, like a, a movement that, like we can watch a video, for example, say, oh, move your feet back, you know, and then we'll tell you why. Um, but to, to really say, you know, I, I do believe smooth is fast, but it depends on every rider because I, I work with some older riders as well. who <laughs> They have that just give it the gas and go mentality and their form is terrible and I mean I'm that's how they ride and they're not interested in changing their riding style so when that's the case when I'm working with them they don't want Phil's help because they don't want to change their riding they're like I, I ride fine <laughs> okay um so then when I'm working with them again I meet them where they're at and they're, okay well this is how we're riding you're not choosing to make a change with your riding so I need to make sure your body is at least doing those motions correctly how many riders are you working with right now? Um, right around, I think I'm just over 20. That's still a pretty good clientele base. Yeah. So I'm curious on the, because for Derek's side of things, with the being a peewee dad and for me being a senior 50-plus rider, what are the different types of things you see and how do you, like, f let's let's go best piece of advice for a, Kiwi rider, and let's go with best piece of advice for a 50 plus, and I know everybody's different, but for us old guys, we all have kind of a similar problem, and for the Wee riders, they may have a similar similar problem. What are you seeing for each of those dynamics? So on the Wee side, to be honest with you, 10 years of age and younger, I'm a hard no for training. They still need to have fun. If you start anything very specific with, with moto training, they're going to get burned out. And even at age 10, it really depends on the kid. You know, if, if 
the maturity levels there and the want to do it is there. And I'm talking about their want to do it, not just the parent, because I think we all know that can be a problem. <laughs> Thank you for um, saying that. I, I appreciate yes. that. Yes. But I'm a firm believer, you know, we need to, with a kid that young, you don't, you don't need to be forcing them to do something that they probably don't understand why yet. You know, they don't understand the, the drive behind it. I, when, and I've had people ask me and I've turned them down and, and instead I recommend get them involved in something that's going to help them with body awareness. That's going to be gymnastics or martial arts, karate, something that teaches them to tumble, spatial awareness, those types of things for little kids are going to be so much more beneficial than trying to put them in some exercise program that, yeah, it's going to help them on a dirt bike, but they don't understand why yet, and, and they, it's not fun. We need to keep it fun for them. And I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because I know it's a, it's a big topic of discussion that there's a, there's a lot of these, uh, these young rider parents that are pushing training and they're, they're pushing kids past boundaries that they shouldn't be pushing. And I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the kids need to learn how to ride before they need to learn how to train. And I, it seems like there's a, you see a lot of it nowadays where parents want to do the opposite because in your mindset as an adult or as a parent, you think what's best, as, how do I want to say it, like for your riding style, but your riding style and your training is not how a kid should be trained yeah. or be taught to ride. And that, I mean, I love hearing that out of you because it's, it's extremely important for people to understand that even like, like you said, even 10 years old is pushing the limits. You know, I've, I've always been like a, a 12 and up. You know, then you can start start introducing the training. And, like, with, with our kid, he's five. You know, the kids, we just got our first win here a few weeks ago. He start, he's doing really good. The only thing that we push is the eating. So I make sure he eats off the bike. I make sure we're getting relaxation time. He cools down. You know, we eat before we do motos. That's the only thing that a kid understands is eating anyway. So that's not really that hard. But uh, you, we're going to get into the, the nutrition part of it and how vital that is. But I wish I wish there was another way for people to understand and how. Like I'm trying to think of a way that we, you know everybody you know can push it towards the parents that just teach these kids to eat and ride. Well, I'd like to I'd like to say to Ashley and Phil both. My daughter is an equestrian, so as a dad who. I love racing and I grew up around car racing and then I went to BMX and then I went to the tennis world and then at 30 years old I got involved in motorcycles and my daughter when she was born she got into gymnastics and she had a Russian coach who was a absolute pain in the ass but was form body movement the whole nine yards at nine years old my daughter got into horses at 15 we were at an event and the person coaching her was like has your daughter done other sports and we're like well she did gymnastics she you can tell her core moves this way and she's on the horse and it looks so elegant and we're like huh. yeah that was completely by accident like it wasn't on purpose and she's now about to turn 21 and she is a professional equestrian and her Seat, I have been told more times, and I don't know if I'm supposed to be angry as a dad, your daughter has a wonderful seat, 
I don't know if that's a <laughs> compliment or what, but I, I'm guessing if I put it to, a hor- to horses, she's really good on the horse because of the way she balances her posture. Off of a horse, you would be appalled. Her posture on a horse is spectacular. And she's a professional at what she does. And so I, I agree with you is these kids, I have told multiple friends, Taekwondo, karate, gymnastics, something to teach them, as you said, spatial awareness. Also, we've now learned there was a thing on one of the races about learning how to fall yeah. and, and learning how to bend. And I think we've lost that. And I, I appreciate the fact that you brought that up of teaching that early as a child. This is fun. And I have my own takes on when it should be serious or not. I mean, it can be serious, but when it's fun. But for you talking about that, the we've, we've touched on body movement. We touched on, I definitely, definitely, because Derek told me when he came back from the camp of, hey, man, you're going to really appreciate the, the, the eating part of this. And I definitely want to get into that, that part of, feeding the body because you can be healthy but if you're not feeding the beast before or after or during a race um that is that is something that is missed out a lot on so i'd like to talk about that for sure yeah so ashley and i had a conversation off air um about this so i'm gonna let you take the mic but how important is nutrition in motocross so I'll answer that with a question. Is your bike going to run if you don't put gas in it? Well, it depends what kind of gas I'm going to put in it. <laughs> I that's agree. fair, too. So that's also fair. That's a fair part of nutrition. So, I mean, it's everything. Your body your body is very smart and that it will adapt, and it's going to do its best to survive. But when it comes to riding and racing, it, it, most of us aren't out there just trying to survive. And if your body is in survival mode and you're pushing it to the extent that we do when we even just ride a dirt bike, it's not going to end well. Um, that's when, you know, mistakes happen because of mental fogginess, fatigue, whatever it is. Your motorcycle doesn't know whether you're a pro, whether you're a weekend warrior, whether you're a beginner. It doesn't matter. If something, uh, if, if you hit something and your, your bike's going to react the same way no matter who's on it. If you are tired or you aren't strong enough because you didn't eat anything to hold onto that bike, it's just going to put you on the ground that much quicker. So I, I explain it that way to everyone. Your food is like the fuel you put in your bike. If it's empty, your bike's not going to go. Your body will continue to go. It's just not going to be pretty. <laughs> I agree. And there's... This is a topic that's brought up, but it's not talked about enough. Everybody, and nothing against like your program or everybody, and I'm not saying this to you either, but everybody pushes the training. And in the pros, of course, they, they, they push the nutrition, the training, the, the whole nine yards. But from an amateur standpoint, which we, you know, we lean towards a lot, they push towards building the bikes up and how can our bike be the best and then we start training our kids. And Can we be honest? They do stupid shit. Yeah. Like they, I mean, they're spending money on stuff yeah. they don't need to spend money on. I, I, that's Let's just be honest. All right. That is 
what I'm trying to say, but beating around the bush. The, okay, so, I'll say it. They're spending yeah. money on stupid shit that they don't need to spend money on. There are kids that are riding bikes that they're not getting the full potential out of the bike. Stop spending money on that and spend money on yourself. Well, it's not even that. Like, focus on the nutrition to even run the bike because you'll see kids that are out there just dog tired. And you know that they had a rough night. They're not hydrated. They didn't eat. They're they're beat down to the ground. But then you got a a, a, mo- a crazy motor dad over there that's push push push, and it, you know it doesn't matter. We want results. We you know it's it, it drives me crazy. And, and I say what I just said. I know I'm the asshole in this bunch, but I say that as I had an uncle, his son. The whole reason I got into motorcycles is my nephew rode for amateur Suzuki. He was a CB rider back in the 90s. And they were, during the 90s, they were doing cryo on engines. They were literally cryoing, as amateur motocross racers, they were cryoing engines. Cryo, I don't know how much that cost. I don't know why. For C and B riders. Mm-hmm. There, was no, there was no worry about what Ashley has to offer or Phil has to offer of positioning on the bike or it was we're spending this much money oh by the way we bought you this fmf pipe uh sponsor shout out fmf i love your pipes we're, we're buying fmf pipes we're doing this we're doing all this oh by the way we cryoed your engine you better freaking win and it's like okay if they're not fast i don't care how fast you if you put me on chase sexton's bike right now i'm gonna suck because, A, I can't compress that suspension if I try it. Have you ever, actually, have you guys ever, Phil, have you ever walked up to a Supercross bike and tried to compress the suspension? I haven't on one of the pro bikes, but I, I will say I did ride the Arena Cross series for a few years. Okay. So the full-blown setup. And, I mean, yeah, my forks move this much when you try to compress them. Yeah. And this whole shot device was almost impossible. Yeah. So, like, we're, we're, mean, we're amateurs. Like, let's, let's be amateurs. And let's focus on what we can focus on. Let's focus on us. My uncle, my uncle, who the one who was cryoing engines, looked at me one day and said, hey, if you ever want to do this, let me tell you what you can do. Buy yourself good suspension, maybe an aftermarket pipe, and don't worry about the rest because until you, can, until you lose a race because of the power of the bike, you don't need to do any of the stuff we're doing. And it was funny to me. Because his son was a CMB rider for Suzuki. And they were worried about this cryo stuff that his son and the people he was racing against were not touching the outer limits of those bikes. So when I got into racing, I run a fairly stock program. And I have the best suspension I can have. And I have an aftermarket pipe. And thank God to Yamaha, I have this tuner app that I can tune things. And let me tell you, I run a 250FX, and I tune that thing down to fit an old 51-year-old man. Yeah. <laughs> so, Phil, give us, your, give us your, your input on all this. Oh, yeah, I was just going to touch base on this because, honestly, like what you guys are talking about, I lived through it. My dad was that guy. He, we, <laughs> had the mod, we had the mod engines. We traveled to do all the, the nationals and all that, and... And me and Ashley talk a lot about this because, I mean, up until she really got heavy into learning all of it, I was terrible. I'm the guy that, that doesn't eat at the races, and I struggle to eat and all that. 
So it's like we would get up in the mornings to go racing. My dad would, you know, wake me up. No time to have breakfast, so we'd stop at the gas station to pick up something, and it might be a muffin for breakfast in the morning, which is terrible fuel, so I'm running off of pure sugar. I might have had brought something for lunch. Otherwise, we're at the concession stand eating, you know, hot dogs or hamburgers, <laughs> you know, something greasy. And, you know, I I was a good rider, but I struggled because I would struggle with energy all day. And by the end of the motos, like the last couple motos of the day or something, I'd be pretty zapped just trying to run off of nothing. And I didn't know any better. We had good bikes. You know, we had good suspension and all that, but like you said, motors, we were doing it all, trying to figure it out. I mean, I'm riding almost every day of the week and then racing on the weekends, trying to figure out how to go faster. And then here, it's like a lot of it could have been a little bit of training and a little bit of nutrition, and I could have gone away further. So So I have a question for you, Phil. We look at right now, I know the – 450 class and the pro motocross is a little bit weaker but we look at look at a guy like ty masterpool who's on a for as far as we know a fairly stock bike with with some suspension work and he talks about how well first of all he gives everything to god but he also talks about how he's set up to right now that bike is set up for him and james stewart even talks about on the on the broadcast how good that bike is set up to com- compare to some of the factory bikes. Do you think if you would have taken that same, hey, I'm going to set this bike up so that I can ride it versus I've got the best stuff, but I don't have the best me. And that's what Ty talks about is having the best him available versus the best bike available. He doesn't talk much about the bike at all. Um, they've got some sus- suspension stuff done, but he's talking about his training. Do you think if you would have done that, do you think there would have been a difference in your in your riding? Um, yeah, 100%, honestly. Um, looking back, like, I, I had mod bikes, I had stock bikes. You know, like in my era, that's what we did. We had stock and mod classes, and mm-hmm. so we always had, you know, both. And, well, we also had practice bikes. Well, practice bikes were stock bikes, so... I mean, outside of that, so it's like I didn't ride the mod bikes much, and then on top of it, my fitness and my strength wasn't there for the mod bike, the, you know, the harder hit motors or whatever it may be. So it's like when I would get on the thing, I couldn't ride it. It wasn't rideable for me. I would struggle on them. So, yeah, I always rode the stock bikes or the stock classes. I always did better in those because it was rideable to me, and you know I mean? I could hold on to the thing, and then – yeah, I'd get onto something that we had it all, you know, blown out, some crazy horsepower, and I <laughs> wouldn't be able to hold on to it while coming off the back of it and stuff. <laughs> and then my dad's screaming at me when I come off the track because he thinks I rode like crap and I'm riding around slow, and it's like, I can't hold on to the thing, man. Like, I'd rather <laughs> ride that stock bike over there and just pin it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's what I think, and I, and I, I am – I'm – very fortunate my daughter didn't go that direction horses are kind of their own thing but i i just i will never forget that advice from my uncle of like who was in this deeply of like literally they're they they were friends with james stewart and and that crew and and he's like yeah we're we're crying but i'm just telling you if you if you decide to do this just do this and actually on your side of things 
is there a way like for the weekend warrior and i mean i mean weekend warrior of let's say the guy that finished 25th to 42nd at loretta lens or myself at 51 is there a way for us to take the power that we already have because the modern bike we all know i mean i'm riding a 2021 derek you have a 2020 i think i mean these modern bikes they have way more power than most of us can handle is there a way for you to talk us through that and and get the best out of us i mean i i would say it comes down to your nutrition and and being strong enough um to, to be able to hold on to the bike for an entire moto and that's going to be the most important factor so you know a lot of people like to lean towards cardio cardio go on a road bike ride and or, or run for, for moto fitness well that's all great but all your training really is your lungs and if you can breathe well that's great i mean breathing definitely has to do with how much energy you expend but if your actual muscles are not able to endure holding on to a motorcycle for four to six laps, it's not going to matter how good you're breathing. You're still going to get tired. You're still going to lose control of the motorcycle. So again, um, and then on the nutrition side, obviously, we have to have the energy. If you actually run out of, like, like the people that don't eat at all on race day, it causes mental fatigue and like like dizziness and it actually causes you to make bad decisions like you can't you can't think as quickly so when you hit a hole or something in the face to be able to correct it your mind is running on such low fuel it's running on fumes you have no way to like make these quick quick decisions that could save and it save you from an injury so the nutrition is Huge, and well, then just having good, good muscular hold for, strength. Hold on, for, I'm going to be very selfish here for a moment. My nephew is one of the top GNCC four by four quad riders in the country right now, and mm-hmm. I would like you to repeat that because MJ Adonis, I'm going to tag you in this. <laughs> he <laughs> he out. he struggles, and and it's not it's not because I'm digging on him. He's actually very good. He's also very skinny. You've met him. Mm-hmm. But he struggles emotionally or something to eat properly before his race. So can you repeat again what you said? Because he is very good, but this is one of the key things I think he struggles with. And I'm not saying that out of context. I'm looking at Derek because I think Derek understands, like, he's had moments. He's won races. He's finished third. But he's also crashed out, and I – he, I've been with him. I actually had the opportunity to go to a race with him and be his mechanic for the day. And this is something watching him from 7 o'clock in the morning until 10.30 at race time, he struggles with. Can you repeat that, that part again about the nutrition side? Yeah, absolutely. So food is 100% your body's fuel. And like I mentioned already, your body will continue if you don't feed it for as long as it can because it learns to adapt. But the different types of foods we eat affect your body differently. So so carbohydrates are really good for quick energy. If you don't eat anything and all you're operating on is, let's say, your fat stores, your fat is your low and slow, steady burning fuel. So yeah, that's going to allow you to keep on at a, at on, in a marathon. You know, you can go forever on your fat. However, when you need to make those super quick decisions, whether it's the hole in a face or 
coming into a corner and there's six different ruts to pick and you got to pick one, you need the quick energy fuel. If you don't have that, the mental fatigue a lot of times is what gets people. You know, these are split second decisions that we have to make when we're racing. If you don't have the mental clarity to make those decisions well, it's going to put you on the ground. This this comes into my next question. So we're talking about nutrition. You wake up race morning. What is a good breakfast, lunch, mid-moto, and dinner to you? Like, what? what is essential? Oh, and I want you to answer that, and then I have another question because <laughs> I'm the old man off-road guy. So I'll just run you through what, like, we eat, and I feed him. I just make him eat what I eat. <laughs> <laughs> so you, sound, you sound like my wife. Eat this, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. I need it. It's okay. <laughs> because he does struggle to eat on race days, so I've had to learn. I, I can eat anything. I'm the person It's like, 90 degrees outside and I'm eating cottage cheese because it's good for me, I don't care. Like, I, I know it's fuel and that's how I look at it. So this is one other thing I'll say before I tell you my race day food. We have food that we need for fuel and food that we want. There's two separate categories. We need to mainly eat to fill this fuel category. The food we want, yeah, we can have that sometimes, but this doesn't really do anything for us. This is just because we want it. Two separate categories. So, race day food. We get up, we have a toy hauler now, we love it, so I can cook. Amen to that, amen to that. (laughs) I can't cook my own food, I am a mess. Like, I am not good because I can't get the food that I know I need. So, toy hauler. We get up, I make us both, we each have three scrambled eggs, just a little salt, pepper, cooked in real butter. We do real butter, not margarine, not the fake stuff. I appreciate Um, that. Yeah. (laughs) And then, either like a piece of toast with butter on it, and we try to do rye toast, whole grains, not whole wheat, whole grains, or fruit, and or fruit. But we want to make sure we get protein, which are your eggs, and carbohydrates, which would be your toast or your fruit, and then your butter and your fats. So a good balanced meal there. And then, so that's breakfast probably at like 6.30 or 7 before we get going. And then we want to make sure around 10 o'clock, like no matter what's going on, that I'm getting some type of carbohydrate in us because your carbohydrates, again, are your good energy source, your brain fuel. So we're looking at, um, you know, sometimes it'll be fruit. Uh, We'll do yogurt. I make these little oatmeal bites that just have oatmeal, uh, like old-fashioned oats, peanut butter. They're basically just little energy bombs. So want some energy around 10 o'clock, carbohydrates. Noon, it's just something simple. And this also depends on how busy our schedule is. We both race two classes when we go anywhere. So sometimes we live at the gate for all day. And getting food is difficult. So if we have time, it's usually a sandwich. You know, turkey sandwich, cheese, lettuce, tomato, maybe a little mayo on some good bread um, with a side of, I'll do cottage cheese. You might do yogurt or something. Just something, protein, carbs, fats. Um, If we're super busy and we don't have time, we'll grab the protein bars if we have to or a protein shake. Something, again, that's got good substance to it, your protein and your carbohydrates. Um, So that's lunchtime. And then usually we won't eat again. I mean, unless it's a long day, maybe a snack. Um, you know, try to grab some trail mix or something. But after riding is also super important to start the recovery process. So if you've had a good hard day of riding, you want to make sure when you're done that you're getting carbohydrates to replenish your energy stores and protein to start the muscle repair process. Um, so it's, it's 
when I do it, it's so normal to me now. I don't think about it, but it's a very structured process in my mind that I've taken a lot of time to figure out. Yeah, that, and that's great. And like, so I'd seen you mention a thing about keto and that's like the new in thing. But for our sport, it shouldn't be the in thing. So tell us about that because I know, I know like these, these new diets are always, you know, there's a new trending diet all the time. And, but for our, our sport, it has its own specific way of things because if not i mean you're going to fall on your face and it's never going to end good so what does keto do or what doesn't it do for our body and or the mentality in the sport so i'll start by saying people just like new things so anything that's new they're going to try Correct. and that's kind of what my thought was um with with keto and i did a very loose keto i didn't like actually make sure i got into ketosis but i read a book called good calories bad calories and it's all like science-based they they have all of the references in there but it's basically talking about how carbohydrates affect the uh, blood sugar levels in your body and actually block you from burning any type of fat stores because carbohydrates are your body's primary source of energy that's what your body prefers to burn for, your, for fuel um, so if there's any carbohydrates in your body it's going to burn that first again blocking any fat burning happening. So I'm like, oh, you know, like I want to burn fat. I don't want to have this fat on my stomach anymore. Like mm -hmm. I'm just going to cut carbs. Like I can, like it's a keto thing. I'll do this. Okay. So, and I was also working out a lot, um, every day of the week on top of writing. And this was before my own studies. I was just like trying things. <laughs> this is the learning process. <laughs> so I started doing this and I started like, there would be times that we'd go riding and, like, the first time I'd go to get on the bike and swing my leg over the bike, I'm, like, tired. I'm, like, I didn't even ride yet. So then I'm, like, oh, well, maybe I'm working out too much. So I backed that off and still felt, like, just lethargic and just not good. Like, I didn't have good energy throughout the day. So that's, like, like what kind of started me, like, it's got to be the food thing, right? So I started studying all this, got into, like, certifications and everything through NASA. Um, they're great for sports, everything. But I learned a lot more about how the different macronutrients affect your body. And then when it comes to sport, carbohydrates are so incredibly important because like I mentioned before, they're our quick energy. That's what your brain like prefers to eat. So yeah, while you have carbohydrates in your system, you may not be burning your fat stores, but at the same time, when all you have to burn is your fat, you're just operating at that like, low and slow steady pace like you don't have the, the the energy that you need to hop on a dirt bike and go ride a 30 minute moto because that's the, one of the most intense things you can do as an athlete is is race motocross and you're cutting out your body's primary source of quick energy it like once i learned that i was like well that was stupid <laughs> yeah no, okay I, I i have a question on that then so I run the Enduros. Next year I'm doing the entire National Enduro Series, which is segment, you rest, segment, 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 five segments each race. How does someone like myself, who I eat fairly keto when I'm eating healthy, training-wise, but I also I use cliff blocks for instant energy because I followed uh, triathletes who have drank flat coke during 
marathons to get the instant sugar so they can make the next marker. How does someone like myself compete at a good level to do those enduros? Because we may not come back to the pits for 30 miles, but we have two breaks to energize ourselves. So I've been carrying the cliff blocks to at least give myself some energy to get through that next segment. Is there, is there a suggestion for that? Because A, I'm looking for that, and B is there's other riders who may be like me. So, I mean, what you, exactly what you said is what you do and find other ways you can carry things with you uh, to fuel. So there's, a, there's um, you can kind of train your body. So doing what you're doing and like being very low carbohydrate, you're training your body to operate mainly on fat. So then when you give it carbohydrates, like when you're, you're um, uh, competing, your body's actually going to react to those a lot stronger because you don't have them usually. So something that's got quick sugar like that, um, like energy gels, I know like Hammer Nutrition makes energy gels, something like that, the Cliff, uh, the Cliff Bar ones. Um, they also make, I don't know if you carry a Camelback, but they make a powder you can mix in with water that provides sustained energy as well. So anything like that, that's, that's where your supplements are really going to come into play to help you throughout those longer times. So you don't really need to supplement during performance if it's two hours or less. But if you're going to be doing something intense like that for two hours plus, you really want to make sure that you're supplementing with something along those lines. Okay, so we do come in. So we have... We have three segments. We go out, we come back in, we come into the pits, and then we go out for two more segments. So during that break, what is something that someone like myself, amateur rider, trying to, let's say I want to win the 50-plus class, what is something that I can supplement with during that break of coming in, fueling up my bike, and then what can I fuel myself up with? Because there's been times, I'm not going to lie, I've been like, oh, my God, I'm cramping. Give me every potato chip that we have, every salt, whatever we have, give it to me. And I've also taken my cliff blocks and salt tablets and everything else. What else am I, what else can I use? Um, so I would say, I mean, the cramping usually comes down to electrolytes. If, you know, obviously drink water. And how long are your segments when you're actually out there? Minimums four miles, but most of them are somewhere between six to 10 miles. And so let's say we're doing 27 to 30 miles in the first half of the race. So I would say the only thing about like those, those cliff blocks or like the nutri the hammer gels, things like that, those are only going to last for about 30 to 45 minutes. So I would recommend finding something that's got a little bit more substance to it that your body's not going to burn as quickly. Um, so something like more of a, a protein shake, you could do a quick sugar as well. And then also try to get a protein shake in. So your your quick sugar is going to give you that burst of energy right away. And it's also going to fade away quickly. That's just how carbohydrates work. Yeah. That's what we'll talk about, like, the energy craft. Um, but getting another substance in your body, like like something that's going to take a little longer to burn, like a protein um, a carbohydrate mixture, a protein shake. But also on the cramping side of it, uh, it, it took me a long time to figure this one out, too. But after I started studying it, obviously we're all supposed water and um, I know you're talking a little bit about salt tablets but you could be missing something else in there as well so one thing that I've found to work for that I don't think it's called element oh. it's, say, say that again sorry you broke up a little bit that's okay it's called element 
So they're little just powder packs that you dump in water, but it's it's for they're actually very high in sodium. Okay. Um, but it's all electrolytes, and that's the only thing I used to ride and get headaches when I was done because I was lacking electrolytes. Those are the only things I found to help. They've helped him with his leg cramps, um, but it's just going to be a combination of your nutrition. It's really hard to pinpoint what your cramps are unless, like, I knew what the rest of your day looked like food-wise. Yeah, I will tell you that when I started eating clean, I started cramping at night, and I realized um, after some research, I was losing magnesium. And so I do a magnesium supplement now, but between the salt, magnesium, and potassium, um, I've, I feel like I've got that fairly in, under control. But it's funny because as much as we ride the same thing, dirt bikes, those 10-minute motos versus the fact that I don't get to come back to the pits for two and a half hours to do the enduros, those are the differences of I've got to figure out how to secure my nutrition and movement because there's a lot of times that we cramp while we're out and it's really not cramping because we're, I know for a fact, I know for a fact that I'm not low on sodium, potassium or magnesium. It's overuse of muscles. Okay, well, am I not in shape? And then I come in and I eat snack and I mean, I had a race last year where I was cramping so bad I couldn't make it back to the pits. And then I went and did the last two tests and it was like, wait, I was cramping so bad I couldn't make it back to the pits, but then I'm finished. So it's, that's the part that for the off-road guy, the old man off-road guy, that is different than the moto guy. And as much as we're similar, there are differences to what we do. Well, most definitely. I mean, so like your style racing and you guys can reiterate on this too. So his style of racing is like the low and slow, you know what I mean? It's it's a long drawn out where we're hard and steady 10 minutes as fast as you can go. On the training side of that, and even from Phil for the bike training side of that, one, do you guys train anybody that races like the off-road series kind of stuff? And two, is is the training different? Like, I'm I'm a motocross guy. I've raced motocross my whole life. My boys race motocross. That's all I know, and I I have raced the enduro series with Trey before. So he's talked me into talked me into one, and it it is a whole. It's the same sport, but it's a whole different sport, all in one. So, do you work with anybody like that? And if so, is there a different training method or training technique for riding that different kind of riding style? So I work with a girl out in California who does their. And they call it something different. There's there's <laughs> hair scrambles and you know it's, it's not hair scrambles out there. I think it's the work stuff. Works. She was a, a works. She was the women's pro champion last year. Okay. Um, she's out in California. I work with her, and her races are two to three hours, yep. and that's obviously anything longer. That's way longer than I've ever rode myself. So, um, I I did a lot of extra studying with her, and that's we work a lot on her recovery, nutrition, and then intra anything intra performance that we can get into her so like she puts in her camelback and she can drink when she's riding um we work on that that standpoint but from the actual training side of it we do a lot with um higher repetitions to build muscular endurance so i've worked with her for quite a while and, and we've built up her strength to now where we're focusing a little bit more on uh like i said muscular endurance so we do a little higher reps a little lower weight and keep the body under a load for a longer period of time yep. It's funny you say that. My chiropractor t 
told me that today. Like that was literally our conversation today is when I was leaving is he's starting to study what I do. And he's like, dude, we got to do more endurance yeah. work on the lifting side of things. Phil, what about you on the riding side? Um, I mean, on the riding side, I haven't worked with any like too many people off-road wise. It's mainly just motocross right now. Okay. So I don't have too much in touch with that. But um, like she's saying, you know, like touching on the strength, you know. And I I wanted to make a funny joke earlier when we were all talking about the strength and you know endurance and then you know cardio like. I believe in cardio. We do some cardio, but obviously you don't want to go out and blow yourself out and just do cardio. But what I was going to say as a funny was at the end of a race, you know, you do four or five laps, you're blown out, you fall down, your lungs aren't picking that bike up. Yeah. Your arms are picking that bike up. Exactly. So you're not strong. At the end of the day, you don't have that fitness and the strength. Uh, you can you can go out and pedal, your, I don't care, you can pedal 100, 200 miles, whatever you want, it's still not going to help you. Yeah. You gotta be strong too. No, yeah, and even in a motor, like motocross, you guys, you guys know this very well. You go down, and it takes everything out of you. Yeah. You're in the middle of a race, you go down. It takes strength to get back up, and oh, yeah. without that strength, you will see guys sit there and struggle. And if if they still got a kickstart, kicking your bike over is a living nightmare. If you go down in the middle of a race, well, I don't care it, if you have a button. If you have a button and you've fallen, yeah, it's yeah, it's miserable it's, to get back it's up. It's still there's still a, a level of stress. I look at my heart rates on my Garmin, and when I have fallen, and you can see the heart rate spike with me just sitting there trying to hit the button. Yeah, and and it's because at that point you've lost control. Yep. And I think Ashley, you can probably talk about that on the data side of. A racer being in control is something that they really appreciate versus being out of control of being stopped. And you were talking about working with the the, the, the lady off road out west and that side of things. And we I appreciate the moto side a lot. I mean that's how I prefer to practice versus going off road to practice. But on the moto side of things, when you're dealing with that lady off road. What are you looking for on heart rates and workload versus someone that's going out to do a four-lap moto? What are the differences of that training program versus a four-lap sprint-type mentality? So you have to think about it, especially when it comes to, you know, like heart rate. You have to think about it in terms of, as well, your breathing. So the heavier your breathing or the higher your heart rate, they go hand-in-hand, that's the more energy you're burning so you can only sustain um let's say like a max heart rate that that's typically between 90 to 100 percent of of your max heart rate anywhere in that zone you can only sustain that for a few minutes so while a four lap moto we can be super intense and have a more elevated heart rate you only have to to sustain it for maybe 10 to 12 minutes so we can be exhausted at the end of it and be fine when you have to sustain riding for hours at a time, we have to be able to manage our heart rate at a much lower level, which a lot of that comes down to managing your breathing. So if you can, and uh, the way it starts is you breathe in through your nose and out through your nose, and that keeps your heart rate as low as possible. Once you start start elevating your 
physical um, activity, you start to notice now you're in through your nose and out through your mouth until you're full on mouth breathing. When you're mouth breathing, like panting, can't have a conversation, can't even respond yes or no, like heavy breathing, that is the most amount of energy you'll be expending and you just can't, you can't sustain that pace. Your body won't, you'll, you'll pass out. <laughs> so when we're training for something, and she actually struggled with that for a bit, um, her first lap out there, she said her nerves would get to her and she would get like, like kind of out of breath. I'm like, we have to learn how to manage the nerves because that wasn't even from the fitness side of it, just a nervous side of it. That will also cause your heart rate to spike and cause you to burn more energy. So all the way around, whether it's fitness, nerves, whatever it is, you really have to learn how to manage your breathing um, and find, you know, like a good mental space to be in. That way you can manage your heart rate and burn less energy. Okay. That, yeah. makes, that makes sense. And it's, when I rode the, down here it's called FTR, but um, I rode one of those races. And for me, it was hard because I still had the, the moto mindset. And, you know, I went out there, I think it was like a 14 or 15 mile lap at that specific race and I want to go balls to the walls because that's you know that's what we know and I made it one lap and that was it because I was you know I was spent every last ounce of me like the 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 last section of it was kind of like a motocross track you know it had uphills and turns and I couldn't even hold on to my bike coming around the turns like I I felt like a, a beginner D rider at that point and it, it goes to show like the difference but showing it reiterate exactly saying what you're saying is you have to learn how to pull the endurance and the, the stamina where in motocross it's it's a whole different world yeah and i think i think one of the things you talked about the the nose breathing and uh calming yourself we can take that to the 30 second board at your local motocross race or our hey you've got one minute to go until your race that is such a hard process because we all get nervous is are there some tricks or because whether i believe in my fitness and for years that was my go-to my last lap was always faster than my first lap and and whether you're a motocross guy you get that board goes up and you're like oh the shit's about to hit the fan for for you as a trainer how do you get me to calm down to realize you're just doing everything we've trained you to do? So I work with people on that side of it. Um, I mean, I, I off, off of like a race weekend. So um, I, I have like breathing and meditation exercises actually built into the program to, to practice that. So I'm a firm believer. We don't want to try anything brand new on a race day. No food, no different stretches, nothing. Because if you're not already practiced doing it, it could affect you weird, and we don't know. So I have them built into the program. Let's, you know, just try to get into, like, a meditative state for five minutes. So then when we get on the gate, and this is what I try to, to translate to people, we need to kind of find that and be able, we need to practice it so that we can do it when there's a lot going on around us. But we need to be able to tune everything else out when we're sitting on the gate and get into that state of breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth and just really focusing on keeping your heart rate down and just focusing on you. Um, that's the best thing I've found to this point to help people on the gate because like you said, everyone gets nerves. I get them myself, but if I can take a second and, and you have to remember to do it, so that also helps um, like when I, you know, there's one thing you work on today. Think about this on the gate. Take a second, two seconds and just breathe. 
Um, but really, uh, just, yeah, like grounding yourself and reminding yourself that, yeah, this is all things that we've practiced. Um, another thing that he's a big uh, uh, advocate for reminding people of, and it helps too uh, with the people I train, is taking a, a big breath in the air on a jump. So pick a jump on the track, that's my jump. When you get in the air on that jump, I need you to remember and then go. You know, like you have to reset every now and again. Yeah. If you make a mistake, take a breather and then go. Like don't get so worked up about it. Oh my God, and I gotta go. Like stop, reset, take a breath, go. Yeah, is that kind of like pulling the tear off? Like when yeah. you see guys, you <laughs> yeah, see guys yeah. pull the tear off and that's like, you know at that point they're relaxed because you're not thinking about pulling the tear off when you're not relaxed. Yeah, and so on the line, and Phil, I'm going to ask you this afterwards because, you know, you were you were a big rider, still are, but in a big situation, um, you, I guess any race in general, it doesn't really matter. People have nerves at, at, at all races, but when the, when, when the board goes up, my thing was all, I would stare at the gate. That's all I would do. I would stare at the gate and I would breathe. I'd look at my corner and then I'd stare at the gate and that always calmed me down. It, it took it. If you can centralize your vision on one thing, that's what always works for me. You just, you know, in through the nose, out through the mouth, a couple times, and then the gate drops. So, like, for Phil, what, what, what works for you on the gate? Um, kind of like you're talking about, honestly. Like, so, yeah, once the board goes up and everything, I, I try to zone everyone out. I try to treat it like I'm the only one there, like no one else is around me. Yeah, same thing, couple deep breaths. And then, I mean, and then once the board goes sideways, it, it's just all focus on that gate. Like, there's, I don't hear a bike, I don't hear nothing, it's yep. just me. That's exactly how I am. I I swear there's never been a race that I heard another bike around me on the gate, ever. It's yeah. just all fog and that gate right in front of me. Yeah. And, and, so like she, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Uh, like she was saying though, you know, like I, I'm on the opposite side. Like I can breathe fine on the gate. I don't get so nervous that I can't breathe or anything like that. Um, I'm on the opposite side. Like I'll get out there and get an intense battle, and we'll be three laps in, and then I realize I haven't been yeah. breathing at all. Same <laughs> way. I'm and saying. Gas. So like I I try to push that to the riders I teach, and then I push it on myself is to whether it's a few jumps a few spots you know it might be a straightaway a corner whatever works for you somewhere you can relax like i'm big like a, a lot of people have commented on it and i have pictures of it it, it almost looks goofy but when i get in there my hands release i have pictures where my hands like almost not even holding on to the bar and that's me taking a breath relaxing my arms like i've never really struggled with arm pump because I relax in the air. Yeah, and, that's a nice, that must be a nice feeling. Because I I have struggled. I mean, with the off road side, we're literally bouncing through trees the whole time. And I have tried. I I started getting to, to the point that I would sing, sing songs that that kind of because if you're singing, you have to breathe while you're singing. Yeah. So I would get to the point. Calms you down. <laughs> and, and and I would get to the point that on hair scrambles I started doing that but on enduros I haven't gotten to that point yet and that's going to be something I'm going to have to learn this year because when we start it's not like we start and we go through this open field and then we go into the woods we start in the woods and yeah. you start and you're you're in it and you might be in it for the first two miles and then you get an open section 
Well, after two miles, you're already screwed if you're if you're tight. So, I, I appreciate that because the breathing part, and I, and one of my my mentors, the guy the guy that was on the podcast last week with me, he's like, dude, you've got to learn to relax. Well, if you're not used to that that stress, it's hard to relax in those moments. I agree, and I'm I'm the same way as you, Phil. I don't I don't loosen my arms, but I loosen my legs in the air. Yeah. So I'll. Th- People have asked me my entire riding career, why do you throw one leg back when you jump? Because that's when I am loose. Like, that's my opportunity to loosen up. I don't, it's just something that I learned as a kid racing that if I can throw one leg back, whether I'm throwing a whip or not, even straight, like my one leg would be back and it's pretty much touching my back fender because it's just loose. Everything is loose at that point, and then I'll put it back on right when I'm going to land. And it just, it takes weight off of you and I, it's you can't really explain it but you you explain it with your arms like it's it's an it's a chance to recoup yourself yeah. even if it's just for a split yeah. second that that little bit of difference is huge yeah for sure oh yeah it's just a little reset and get yourself going again yep for sure so yeah this is a it i i love having this conversation because it's it's something like i said it doesn't get talked about very much um we all we're always we're always talking training and pushing training and but to go in depth it, it's not something that you hear on and typically on any of the other podcasts it's always about the riding it's always about the you know, and we have moto dads like the moto moms pushing their kids and doing this and my wife pushing me and it's like what are you doing wrong and we've done this and and it's it's one of those things like the i think jason thomas puts it best when he talks about on his podcast of the physical side of motocross off-road whatever you want that is completely under your control how you handle it is something that may be out of your control but as ashley and philip both said it's if you train it it can be under your control but the physical conditioning side you're getting paid to be in good shape and how you ride that way is kind of under your control and and I think that's where actually Phil, you know, other coaches can come into play of, hey, man, like, this is where you are. But we're also egotistic, egotistical. We want the best of what we think we can do when maybe we're not there yet. And how do you, how do you work with that rider that may be a C rider who thinks he's a B rider? And I'll say that. I'm a, I am a slow B rider. I am a, I'm a I'm a B. I'm not a bee, but I have to race against the bees. Yeah. So how does you, you maybe let's take me 27 years younger, and how do you help me become? This is where I'm supposed to be riding, and I'm tra- I'm following your training program. How do I get there? Yeah, well that that's a difference in off road and motocross too. Like you know, if you're a bee rider, you're obviously you ain't gonna keep up with the A boys. You know yeah. what I mean? So, to, for her to answer this question specifically, if, if you got a rider that wants to be, who is a B rider, who wants to be an A rider, or wants to get to the next step, how do you push towards that, or what? how does your program get them to that point? So, I'm going to ask, you know, for one, what they're struggling with when they're riding now. Usually everyone almost always answers, well, I get arm pump or I'm, I'm gassing out. So then those are the problems that I focus on 
and then I, there's a period in the beginning of the program where I'm just kind of collecting data from them. So like we're, I'm figuring out what they're eating, you know, that way I can figure out these areas where they might be lacking and help guide them in a better direction uh, from a fueling standpoint. And then we put together a program again to meet them where they're at because doing something consistently is better than the best program that they don't do or doing nothing. So getting them there, but from like a, a, you know, moving on from that standpoint, like I can only give someone the tools and then from there they have to put in the effort themselves. That's right. why it works remote. I don't need to be there to feed them. Here's what you should be doing. If you don't do it, that's your own choice. It's the same thing with the workouts. You know, you can say you do them. The only person you're hurting if you don't is you. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, you know, like they generally just start to see improvement and, and feel more comfortable on the bike because they can hold on to it uh, more confident. And then at that point in time, you know, for local, Phil would usually step in and, and help work on form and technique and making sure that we have all the basics down really solid before trying to add in speed. Um, if we're not remote or if we're not local to them and they're just doing the program fully remote, then, you know, that's where we could offer like video assistance and working on the little techniques and things. Um, but to get someone from, you know, let's say like a B level to a, a pro level, yeah, it, it, it needs to start with the basics. And then from there, they have to have the drive to do it. I completely agree. Yep. Where is local for you guys? Where are you guys located so that someone could be local? So that's a really fun question. Currently, <laughs> it's it's Akron, Ohio, but our intentions here, hopefully within the next six months to a year, are going to be that we uh, travel full time. So we'll be able to have events everywhere, meet with our riders that are located wherever, you know, just different months will be in different locations because we don't like Akron, Ohio winters. We lived in Florida for two and a half years and came back for family and it, we question ourselves for it every day. but. Um, so we're just trying to trying to make it set up so that we can travel around and, and do this full time. Well, good good for you guys because I am originally a Pennsylvania boy <laughs> and I know all about it. And as I sit here in front of my pole, I feel so sorry for you guys. I mean, I know it's warm right now, but it ain't gonna be for long. So, no. so do you have a facility in Akron that? So for myself, let's say I'm a Florida guy, I'm an old guy, and I have the means to. Well, I don't want Phil to watch me on video. I. I can come up and make the 16-hour trip to Akron and and come up there. Is there a place for me to ride so that Phil can get an idea of what I look like? So I don't have a track here, like, at the house or anything right now. Um, I actually don't have access to a track that I'm using currently. I'm mainly so far just been going out to, like, um, we have a couple public tracks that run, like, a Wednesday night or Thursday nights. I'll go out there and meet with someone, do some like one-on-ones. I am currently in talks with like a couple of the track owners to do some weekend events, like where I can do like class classes. Um, I mean, if it came down to it, you know, someone traveled that far, I do have access to a track at my dad's still. It's about an hour away. You know what I mean? I can make <clears throat> some things happen, but as far as like right now, no, I don't have a personal track that I'm using for training. Okay, because I was just curious, because some of us old guys, we have means, we just don't have coaches. So, right. you know, and some of us, I mean, like myself and my wife, we don't mind a road trip. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> and I mean, we don't mind a road trip either. That would be the nice thing. That's the other part of if we can get to where we can travel, you know, like there's a good chance that the winners for two, three, four months, we may be in Florida. So someone like you, you know, I could easily come hook up with a couple of times throughout the winter and we could work on some stuff. And then, you know, if, you know, you're coming up north in the summer and we're up here or we're down in the south, yeah, we could hook up that way, you know, easily as well. So I'm I'm building it to that point where I will hopefully have tracks to use in different areas. And that's awesome because on this podcast we also we we like to dive deep into the business of motocross because there's a there's a massive business around what we do and everything we do it's still you know professional amateur there's still a lot of businesses that go into what we do so. It's another thing that doesn't get talked about a lot is everybody wants to talk about race results and racing and the different tracks, but um, that's why we had CJ on here after the camp, and we talk about the business, the people like you or the podcasts like us or the track owners like CJ or somebody of that nature that do this every day. Like, this is what we do. Yeah, we still ride. Like, that's our fun, but there's still work involved to make any of this happen somebody has to work on the bikes. somebody has to manufacture parts somebody has to build bikes you know people have to work on tracks it's something that it's just not talked about a lot and that's we we really like to dive in deep to that and i, I love hearing that you guys are going to get out of ohio at some point but uh yeah. <laughs> we'd love to have you down here and actually do this face to face and catch up on it sometime that would be awesome instead of facetime do you have any yeah. do you have any uh whether it's manufacturer or nutritional sponsorships at this point that, that you'd like to tout? Um, I mean, we just have all of like our moto yeah. sponsors. I actually don't believe in, I was kind of partnered with a company on the supplement side of things, but I look at that like it's a conflict of interest. So I don't yeah. really believe necessarily in, in partnering my business, like the shred, the, the, especially the nutrition side of it the fitness side of it you know talking about clothes or like workout equipment whatever but on the supplement side of it i just feel like that's too it puts too much into question whether i would be recommending it because it's paying me commission or it's actually good for you so i actually stopped that um here recently there's just it, it's not worth it for me so and I want to be able to recommend whatever I truly use myself and feel is going to be the best thing. And sometimes it's from different companies. So, are there? Are there? And and since since you you've said that, I I agree with you. I I use some off-brand stuff that I have had really good luck with. But for your side, is there any good companies that you have nutrition? Because we all know Hammer, we know Rhino. We know all those different companies, but are there some are there some that you say like, damn, these are pretty good. Like they actually have good stuff because you're in the business. I've had good results off of my completely amateur studies of them, but is there something as a professional that you've had good luck with? Yeah, absolutely. So aside from Hammer Nutrition, we do have a few of their supplements. Um, I also use First Form products. They have a lot of different flavors of protein powder. Um, and then you can kind of get into the nitty gritty. They have one that's like a meal replacement protein shake versus a post-workout. And we could have a whole discussion on that. <laughs> um, but they also offer collagen protein, which I'm huge on. And you can, 
you can look at first forms you have to order it you can get it from amazon you can get it on prime not first form but there's one that's called like bulletproof collagen i'm such a big uh, uh supporter of encouraging people to consume collagen protein any way they can because that actually helps with your ligaments your tendons any of your soft tissues in your body it helps those get stronger it's not to get on the science side of it it's not a complete protein so we want to make sure like if we're counting that towards our protein our grams of protein for the day we're eating it with something else that's protein based but mainly I recommend it to people who ride because all of our soft tissues are at such a risk when we hit the ground. <laughs> that is, I'm actually studying the collagen thing right now, but you said first form and Andy Frisella is, he runs a really good podcast too on the business side of things, which is ironic and the fact that you mentioned that and it's something that we talk about on the racing side and he's involved in auto racing. Um, so it's funny that you mentioned that, but yes, the the collagen protein is something that as I've gotten older and I'm outside a lot and it's something that you don't realize, oh, well, it's just collagen. Who cares? That's something women should take. Derek, you should be taking collagen too. Thank you. I will, I will do that. But this, this to me is what stands you out from everybody else. Um, you're not branded by any means. And I know a lot of these moto trainers are branded by some kind of brand that they're getting some kind of commission off of. And it, it is. It's a conflict of interest of are they training you or are they making commission off of that? And that has always drove me crazy that these these trainers will push these these supplements that they might have only been in business with or partnered with for a month. But all of a sudden it's the best supplement on the on the face of this earth. And that drives me absolutely insane. And I love the fact that you're not branded to anybody and you're not afraid to you know i use this one i use this one i use one from amazon for god's sake and that makes a huge difference and i i i don't want to downgrade anybody by any means but i am the type that steers away from the branding and the finding somebody that is branded because i want somebody more like you who is going to give they care more about you care more about the training than you do what they're taking this is obviously on the nutrition side not on the correct my son's sponsored by aot yeah correct oh, okay okay correct. i just want to make sure <laughs> sorry <laughs> we are fmf people as well go fmf <laughs> i agree with you on that i agree i agree with you hey they're a big sponsor of the off-road side so um, i i kid with derek but yeah i i agree with you on that but but my my mentor jason he's one of those same guys like just like you guys i run a tusk tire because we found that I can run that Tusk tire and it saves me 75% on a Dunlop. Yeah. And it's funny, it's a non-branded tire, but I'll be damned, GNCC, one of their corporate sponsors here is Tusk Tires. Holy cow. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's funny. It's, it's funny how that actually has come to fruition of you do what's best for you. I'm... I now I broke my brake rotor when I had my bad crash. You would you would love both of you would love the. Uh, I've had a three month debacle of I had a I broke my helmet. Let's put it that way, in my last crash and um, I put a new, I'm putting a new brake rotor on and it's a Tusk brake rotor and is like is this the one I buy and he's like yeah you don't need this because 
X amount of dollars. So it goes back to that what's best for you versus what you might want to buy because that's the brand. Yeah. And I appreciate that, Ashley, of, hey, this is the these are some brands that work. And, by the way, if you can get it on Amazon, buy it on Amazon. Yeah. No, like I said, that makes a, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. So, well, speaking about your business, where can people find you? Oh, we are mainly on primary uh, method of communication. It's usually just Instagram. It's shred underscore MX conditioning. Um, otherwise, just on my personal profile, it's Mrs. Harris seven seven nine or Phil's. He's factory Phil six six nine. We're mainly yeah, just on Instagram and then email. I do have an email address for the business. It's shredmxconditioning at gmail dot com. Um, but when you spell it all out, you have to make sure to spell conditioning correctly or <laughs> email. So just find us on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Are you taking on new clients? Yes. Perfect. Well, there was something Derek said you wanted to talk to us about. Did I miss it? Or did we already talk about it? No, this this is a different topic. Oh, never mind. Okay. <laughs> but uh, as far as we're getting into, we're in, we're ending up summer. Loretta's has just happened. Um, I don't know if you're working with anybody. I guess the next big thing would be mini O's. Um, as as we transition from the summer to the fall, as a general rider, whether whether I ride off road, motocross, whatever and with the weather changes and the time changes, what is something that we can all work on to make our winter and fall most successful? So in my eyes, those are gonna be two different answers because while we're riding, um, any of our focus is gonna be on maintenance. We don't really want to, especially during a season when we're racing, we don't want to be building muscle or um, over straining the body our primary focus is riding. That's how it always should be. Any workouts is just a supplement to that. Um, so once we get you know, through the rest of the season here, uh, after I would say minios for those doing it, then we can really transition into more of like a, a strength phase. But always, no matter you know what season you're in, nutrition, and it's funny because we talked about this earlier, so many people want to focus on you know the training side of it and I would prefer people really focus on nutrition first because if, if your food, if you're not fueling your body well and you start adding in workouts, it's only going to make the problem worse. So we really should always, always have nutrition at the forefront of our thought process on what we're doing to fuel our bodies, um, whether it's day-to-day, racing, riding, um, always, always nutrition. So that doesn't change. It only changes based on what you're doing that day. Um, unless we're like, you know, trying to lose weight or something, then the, this is a different story. But training side of it is different based on what season we're in. Perfect. Perfect. I uh, I actually, I love this stuff. This is the part that, uh, honestly, I will say my last three I and a half you hours. you would. Oh, my last three and a half hours between, I, I, I'm in real estate. That's what we do for a living. And I just sat down with a mortgage broker on his podcast and, it was just between now you guys and him and this it's been it's been like bliss <laughs> I, i'm glad i'm thank god my wife actually works <laughs> but uh no i i want to thank both of you and and um we'll see what happens here over the next couple weeks but um i would love to talk to you more about the the nutrition side and the writing side because it's something um my 
I have a question for you. Uh, my chiropractor today told me I may need to find a physical trainer because of needing to do exercises and having them watched. And I was like, well, there's not a athletic training guy that I trust to watch me do bench presses without crunching my shoulders. So how does that work for you? And, and that's something I'm, ser I'm deadly serious on because he wants me to find someone that can train me to work on some of the problems we're needing to strengthen up before I can be released. So how does that work for you guys? So on the fitness side of it, that is one downfall of being fully remote. I'm not there to watch. Um, I actually, in the app that I use, I have all of my, it's about 95% all of the demonstration videos are done by me where I explain the form. But if it's something like a medical reason where you need someone there, whether it's to watch or just be a spot to make sure, you know, like you, you don't harm yourself, that's going to be where I am not able to support you and what you need. Um, and I'm fine saying that, you know, like I would love to say like, yeah, we could do like a, vi a FaceTime video, but it's not going to be efficient for you and I'm not going to be helping you. I'm here to truly help people who I can. So in that aspect of it, I would say to find, um, I don't know, and, and I could I could search, you know, and see if I know anyone down there that trains, but find someone that you do trust in, in the basic movements and get their help with the basic movements that you need and then transition into more of a moto-based program. Because my guess is anything that your chiropractor wants you to work on to have like a spotter is going to be just very basic, good, someone making sure you have good form on these basic moves. Oh yeah, it, for sure it's form. It's We're not talking about a lot of weight. We're actually talking about decreasing weight and form, but um, I didn't tell them that was my life. I was... I was in college athletics for over 20 years, so my form, I feel, is pretty good. It's it's having the discipline of the program. And I will tell you, as an older person, that's one of our biggest things. We, we know to go work out. We hate making the workouts. And having someone be able to create those workouts, now we may need help with some – some of us may need help with form, but other others of us just need help with the – this is what you need to do and if i can see you doing it because you can look at data you're 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 in that industry you can look at my data and say okay he's cheating or he's doing this <laughs> properly or or whatever or he's not doing this and we can adjust but um for someone like me i'm probably more than likely i would love to have that resource of hey this is a trainer i i think you could use but more or less it's hey I'm doing this. Can you guide me along? Um, and that's where I kind of that's where I kind of am. And I think there's a lot of us, and especially in my world, that we've been there, done that. We just need the guidance of program. Mm -hmm. And on that side of it, I will say that's where I differentiate myself between, like, like from a regular personal trainer. I'm a coach. I'm not just going to give you a workout and say, here you go my programs all of them include accountability so depending on you know and everything's customized to you what you're looking for we with with most of the athletes i work with we do weekly check-ins so you have to submit a form to me weekly and let me know how everything's going and i can go back through your workout log and see it all 
So again, you could lie and say you're doing it all, but the only person you're hurting is yourself and you'd be lying to me. Yeah. So <laughs> I would hope that, you know, throughout the course of the week, you're like, man, I know I have that workout and I don't want to do it, but I know Ashley's going to be looking at it. So I should go do it. You know, like you have to have a little bit of, of like, you know, your own, your own discipline to do it. But I do keep an eye on that. And I check in with my athletes weekly for that reason, you know, yes, here's a, here's a program laid out for you, but I'm not just going to let you do it on your own and like, yeah, well, I'm not going to do it this week. Like, no, I'm checking in with you every week. And, and not to tout other programs, but I think some of the pro motocross guys have bought into the troll training program. Not that I'm not trying to tout another program, but I'm just saying there are guys that are out there on the road doing that. And uh, Alex and his partner are not, there every day those guys are either dumping their data in or sharing and the same thing it's there is a as you said Ashley there is a responsibility on the person doing the exercise yeah, self -discipline. like yeah like if I'm doing this I'm gonna dump you my data I, I know that coach Rob that's what he when he works with athletes he says hey you I have access to your Garmin data well I can tell you right now you would not like you would love my Garmin data Sunday morning. You would hate my Garmin data Monday Monday Monday. But that's if I'm willing to give you that access, I'm also willing to take the advice that you're giving me and I think that's where if you're really into that program for Phil and for Ashley, hey, I'm watching your videos, I'm watching you do this, I'm looking at your data. This is where you are and you're going to have to just be man enough or woman enough to say yeah, I'm sucking right now. What can we do? And that's where the coaching part of both of you come into. That's what we're paying for is that coaching side of things. Yep. I agree. Yeah, I love exactly. it. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, exactly. And that, that's the differentiator. You know, like anyone, you could Google a workout program if you really wanted to. And there's AI things that will give you a workout program. But, again, if, if no one's there coaching you through the process you're losing that human element yeah. anyway and, and probably not going to continue no, i agree with that completely that is that is one of the hardest parts from coming from the college side of things where we had the resources available every single day and my athletes i didn't i didn't really have to push much they had they had resources there and that's where I, I appreciate something like you and Phil and when I joked about like driving to Ohio to come train for hey if you can give me a couple hours and show me if I'm up in that area and I've got a couple days to kill why not come have someone look at me and I know you guys want to come to Florida and if you come to Florida that's great but but as someone that just wants to be a little bit better and that's all and, and you know this I mean you guys both ride you just want to be a little bit better. That little bit better could be a difference between a fourth and a third. And then yeah. it's the third and the second. And, I mean, I've only won two races. I've been racing for 20 years, and I've won two races. And let me tell you, those moments are exhilarating. Yeah. They're exhilarating. And, I mean, like, on the riding side of it, you know, like, it, it is little things. You know, it's always what do I need to do? to get to that next level. I mean, I rode A-class, like I said, for 20 years, and I mean, I'm 35 now, but I still push myself, and I still, I talk to Ashley all the time about it. I'm like, after racing a weekend or something, I'm like, what? I don't understand, like, because there's guys I've been battling. It seems like it's always the same. You battle the same guys forever, or, you know, everyone's always fast. And But it's like, there's always those few guys that are always a little bit quicker, and you're like, what do I got to do to bridge that gap or 
and then but you know like you're saying it's like you got to utilize your resources it's the same thing with like the kids locally like i want to help them bridge that gap or i want to teach them to ride with better form that in turn makes them more confident on the bike and that in turn makes them go faster and finds those little things that they were searching for before well it makes it makes them safer and, and the funny oh, thing yeah. and the funny yeah, thing is between the two of you between those skill sets the safety side of it in an unsafe venture if if i can be secure with the way i'm riding and i know that when i step on the track because i go practice motocross i mean that's that's what we practice when i practice that if i'm safe because i know i woke up and i ate good and i feel good and i'm stretched out and i feel safe and, and the two of you are yes you're trying to make better riders but it, the growth of our sport is falls in within the safety of that sport too and and i i i appreciate what you both are trying to do in your separate entities together um kind of like what derek and i are trying to do is we may be the assholes at some point but we're trying to grow our sport in our area because we just absolutely love it and and the, I, I do have a question for Ashley. I don't know about Phil. I, I haven't seen I haven't seen Phil's arms. <laughs> I have to know about the the uh, ink. Where did the ink come oh, from? He's, and what he's, he's loaded in them too. Oh, okay. What, what's the story with the the ink? Where, where, where are we uh, at with that? That would probably be my fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, when we got together, she, I mean, I only had like a couple when we got together, and she had like one, um, but. I, I was I love tattoos and I had a guy that did them locally that he took care of me because I I didn't go a lot but I went consistent enough and I like everything was from him so he took care of me so and then I got one and then she went in with me and then she was like oh I kind of want one <laughs> and then it started with like a rose on her arm and now we both have full sleeves and my whole stomach and chest and all that's done her entire back's done and it's just, I mean, I feel like a lot of people, you, you get one and then it's, <laughs> it's an addiction. It's kind of addicting. It just doesn't stop. Yeah, I can't let my wife listen to this because she has uh, one. And um, I, I want to know what's your favorite one. Both of you, what's your favorite one? Oh, my favorite one? Uh, for me personally, I have, it's, it's actually a Dirt Bike Kids t-shirt. It was one of his t-shirt designs. But my new artist that I go to now that I've actually known for a long time, he rides motocross, which is awesome because we get to sit there and the whole time about moto. He re-drew he re it. So it's like, it's that shirt, but it has its own unique thing to it because he hand-drew the whole thing himself and takes up my whole time. Oh, that's so sweet. Ashley, yeah, awesome. What's, what about you? Um, I don't know. I was just thinking about that. I... I have a lot of flowers and pretty things. I don't. <laughs> she loves them all. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I just, I just love tattoos. I, I can't pick a favorite. I, I would have a least favorite for sure, but I can't pick a favorite. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, they've they've joked about was it uh, the guy who had the hamburger under his armpit? I mean, like, he he has a least favorite. What's your least favorite one? Oh, my least favorite is my first one I got when I was 18, and the guy took a break in the middle of it to eat pizza. It's, it just says, <laughs> yeah, one of those. It just says fearless down my side, but it it scarred up really bad, and it's not it's not well done. And I 
it'll get covered one day, but I've got too many new tattoos to get. So yeah, no, I, I understand, and and it's funny because that is something too that is personal, and, and um, with my wife, the fact that she loves it, and she's asked me like, I don't know, we've been married 23 years, and she's like, when are you getting your tattoo? And I'm like, I can't figure out what I want. Like I can draw you something. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is like I have things that I think I like, but. Ooh. But the problem for me is, and this is going to sound real sexist, there's a lot of them that I want in areas that are female tattoos, like <laughs> fingers, that area where women put things like, there's things I like, like I'm a huge Infinity, uh, uh, the, uh, sh- uh, oh, what's the uh, yin, yin and Yang? Like the like sign, the sign. Yeah, no, no, the, the I know what you're saying. yin and Yang. Infinity symbol or whatever. Yeah, and... and like a lot of those are female tattoos and she's like you can't get that and i'm like but that's what i like like i so i have just i've never gotten one but she has she has one she wants to get it redone so i appreciate the art like every time we go someplace i just was in a podcast and the guy that was the producer of the podcast he is tatted literally from head to toe he's a musician so it fits in on the motocross world it fits in um phil do you have one on your neck no, I'm not there yet. <laughs> that, that that's good because I told my daughter I, I, there's only my like hands are done. That's fine. H- hands are fine. I've told my daughter there's yeah, only like I haven't ventured above above the neckline. That's fine because yeah. I told my daughter there's only like four men that have neck tattoos that she can marry. But uh it's funny, my dad always told me well, first off, my dad bought me my first one, and he's like, you can have all the tattoos you want as long as they're hidden. So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. That, that sounds great. And then he now like he is accepting that I have my arms and my hands and all that done, but it's a, that's one spot that he's big on. He's like, he's like, don't go above your collar line. He's like, I don't want to see them on your neck or your face or anything. So <laughs> that's well, not good there. I'm going down right now. I'm trying I'm, to see my legs. <laughs> I'm just going to say this. My wife and I went to Port Canaveral Beach last month, and the last ramp, it's the Playa Linda nude beach. So all of those are hidden until you go to Pier 13 at Port Canaveral Beach, <laughs> and then they're not hidden anymore. So uh, don't let your dad go with you to the beach, but you can show those <laughs> tattoos to the world because guess what? I did. I saw things at that beach that I had no I didn't want to see. It's always a party in Florida. Oh good lord. Oh yeah. yeah. Thank God. Thank God you can watch a rocket sh- take off or you can watch a rocket on the beach. <laughs> Your choice. <laughs> Your choice. Uh, but uh yeah. but no I want to thank both of you guys. I this has been educational and um I'm going to let Derek do some editing on this and and we're definitely going to uh promote you guys because this is something for amateur parents. That's everybody. Yeah, this, this everybody. This is a, a, a very broad uh, podcast, and it's something that everybody needs to hear. And Ashley and I talked about this beforehand. It's uh, it's something that's not talked about enough, and it's not educated well enough um, to the right crowd. So I can't thank you guys enough for being here. Uh, you guys are literally like the package deal. You know, a, a training, moto training, moto conditioning, nutrition, you know, ride training. It's it's the the whole package deal um it was awesome having you guys and anybody listening needs to give these guys find them on instagram facebook the whole nine yards um i'm sure you will not regret it 
because, like I said, it's a it's a program that stands out from everybody else. So, can I ask one more question? Go ahead, Ashley. Inter yes. Intermittent fasting, fasting when not racing. When not racing, you said. Yes. Yeah. It depends depends on your reason for it. Okay. I so I, <laughs> I do it because I feel good. I feel good, and I try to eat. If I do between 18 and 36 hour intermittent fasting, then I'm for it. It really comes down to why you're doing it. If, if it's a feel good thing, absolutely. As long as you're getting enough food in you and, and the property, you know, macronutrient balance is there. Um, some people use it as a way to sort of reduce their calories if they only have, you know, six hours to eat. Uh, they just don't eat as much, you know, if they're trying to reduce calories or something like that. So I'm not against it by any means, but it depends on the reason. I've never fasted for a race, and I never will. But, yeah, like, I might fast three days before a race, but then I never fast during a race weekend. Like, ever, ever, ever. I've never done it, and I won't do it because I, I just realize I am eating there, there's a lot of caloric expenditure happening, and too fast is just kind of scary. But I just want to make sure because there are some professionals who like intermediate fasting is terrible for you. And it's like, I don't know. I, I, I feel pretty good when I do it. And I don't skip meals, and I don't like, I don't mean like I don't cut my calories. Like when I eat, it's broccoli and it's chicken and it's good steak. And it's, I'm pretty low on my, my, uh, carb intake but i get my carbs through fruits and vegetables and that kind of stuff but i i try to limit it but i just wanted to know I just i just wanted to know as an old curiosity. man i just wanted to know yeah just curiosity yeah if you're just shortening the time frame you want to eat as long as you're getting in the same calories the same you know balance and food, in my opinion there's really no reason to be like anything. Just definitely not perfect that's all i wanted to know because uh, my wife and I are all for it, and I just want to make sure we were going the right way. Yeah. All right. Well, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Um, cutting it up two hour mark at this point. So good, good. And we we could go on for forever at this point, but uh, we got to cut it short, I guess. Yeah. But hopefully, we can get you guys down here sometime. We'll do this live and um, see, see how the business is going and see where we're at. Yeah. Thank you both for your time. Really appreciate it and. Derek, great pull on the guest. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. And uh, only, only the best. Thank you guys for joining us, and we look forward to doing this again sometime. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, and thanks for having us on. We appreciate it. Phil, we love your glasses. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good one. Bye bye. You too. All right, Derek. That was great. Damn good pull, man. Yep, it was awesome. Uh, they're, like I said, they're an awesome couple. Um, I got the opportunity to meet them at PAX, and um, if, you, if you have the opportunity to train with them, I absolutely would wholeheartedly. Um, they're just genuine people, and it's hard to come by nowadays. So for episode 22, here we sit at the pool again. Awesome guest, awesome day. Yeah, the pool's nice. We had a little storm come through, but somehow we avoid, avoided it. That's right. But uh, I guess this is it, episode 22. Derek, welcome back home. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. For for Derek Schaefer and DBS Custom Fabrication and Handyman Services and Trey Heath with Michelle and Trey Real Estate, thank you for joining us with our guests, Ashley and Phil and uh, Harris. And thank you for joining us for episode 22 of Beyond the Curve, the MX podcast. Catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.